Welcome to the Freedom to Learn podcast, exploring freedom, autonomy and social justice in education. This recording was made at the 2020 Freedom to Learn online forum. It's a non-hierarchical space. Everyone's opinions matter. No one has to answer or participate if they don't want to. Um, Put your hand up if you want to speak and try to keep points relatively short today just because we've got a lot to get through. So I want us to start by thinking... Uh, why is listening important when campaigning for change? And what do we mean uh, by listening? So what forms could this take? So I want us to just have a thing. Uh, anybody, feel free to start. So uh, if you want to speak, just put your hand up. So why is listening important when campaigning for change? Yeah, Simi. Because um, you need to fully understand the issue you're campaigning for and you need to do that by like listening to what the actual issue is and like, why it started, things like that, so you can try and actually combat that. Exactly, exactly. How And what, you, what happens if you don't listen to what actually affects people? Then you might end up campaigning for the wrong thing, something that's not actually needed or necessary. Exactly. Who is that? And just out of interest, can anyone think of? I'm sure we can all think of lots of examples of campaigns that were well-meaning, but did weren't based on listening to need. Um, perhaps if you can think of any examples, please feel free to say them or put them in the chat. Um, otherwise, can anybody else tell me why is listening important when campaigning for change? Yeah, Rowan, and then Andrea. Yeah, maybe Andrea can go first. All right, Andrea, I'll take you first. Okay, thank you. Um, so I um, helped found the first alternative school in Romania um, a couple of years ago. And I found that speaking about really alternative education where children have the right to decide what they learn and are not forced to learn, uh, people reacted very, very strongly against it sometimes. There were and I didn't understand it at first, and I really saw that I have to listen and to try to understand them so that I can figure out a way how to communicate with them about the project so that it doesn't encounter massive resistance. So for me, listening was very important so that I get where people stand um, regarding my project and what are their needs or their view on it and where it might attack them uh, because some saw it as a saw this freedom to learn as in direct as in their own education was wrong and they were wrong because they had the wrong education and i really had to listen to see to understand this thank you i think that's a really really good example thanks uh, rowan were you going to say something? Yeah, kind of similar to Andrea's point, actually. I, I think, like, I found this in my own campaigning, but also looking at the history of other campaigns, that sometimes just because you have an identity, you assume that other people have the same experience. So if you're a student, you think, oh, this is the student's experience. If you're a woman, you think this is a woman's experience. And I think a good example of that is the history of the feminist movement, where women thought that they could speak for other women without realizing the diversity and nuance of experiences. So, so kind of, so like, like owning your your experience but recognizing that it's not universal requires 
and active, active listening, especially if you you intend to represent other people and speak for them, which in itself is a dangerous thing. So kind of moving away from representing to bringing people together as allies, working together to have a more um, a more nuanced understanding of difference. Yeah. Thanks, Rowan. Oh, yeah, Laura. Hi. Um, it's really connected to everything that's been said, but the, the, the sense of feeling heard is such an activating um, position to be in, and you can empower people through really listening, and you open up the space to share their experience and their voice and have it validated and feel just as important as anyone else's point of view um, and I think that's a really powerful thing. Thanks Laura. I, I, I think these were all fantastic uh, responses. I just wanted to touch on what Rowan said about involving people and I think that's a really good important point as well uh, and you're not just kind of speaking for people but that you're enabling people to be part of that change too. Um, it's really important that you bring people with you and you can do that by listening. Um, okay, so what forms, what do we mean by listening? What forms could listening take? Same as before, just raise your hand if you've got any ideas. Uh, yep, yeah, Rowan? I was gonna say, so, I mean, sometimes, you know, government listens or if you're looking, listening to, to massive groups of people, sometimes you just do a survey or a questionnaire or a, or a census. Like it can be, but that, that's not really deep listening, but that is one way to listen. No, that is definitely a way to listen. Thanks very much. Um, Simi, yeah. I think as well as like literally like allowing people to talk, but also showing that you're doing something with things they tell you because like if sometimes if they just do the complete opposite of what you've said it doesn't feel like you've been listened to but if someone like takes what you said and like does an action that incorporates what you've said or acknowledges the fact that you said that then it makes you feel like someone's actually like heard it as well as instead of just going letting you talk and then doing something completely different Exactly. And there's definitely instances of listening where people said they're listening and then they still went and did something anyway, like some kind of, I don't know, a, a government consultation on a housing estate, for example. There's lo lots of incidents of saying, we're consulting on this. Do you want this housing estate? Everyone said, Ever Do you want these new um, blocks of housing? And everyone's like, no. And then they're like, right, having listened to you, we're going to go and make these blocks of luxury housing. <laughs> That is something that happens again and again and again locally. So I think, yeah, active listening um, and actually hearing what people are saying and acting on that. I think, yeah, really, really good point. Uh, anyone else? What other forms of listening could, uh, yeah, what other listening could we do? Yeah, Laura. Um, I don't know if this is going to make sense, but conversational, so like collaborative and engaging and discussion. And so something that doesn't feel actively focused on one person's voice, but the 
generation of shared understandings, whether they are compatible or not, just sharing the understanding of one another. I really like your point. What do you mean um, conversational? Like, are there different examples of conversational listening you can think of? I like this idea of what you said about a shared understanding. Well, I suppose just in the sense of discussion that isn't um, cut off or with not necessarily a particular agenda or... Um, well, kind of like Rowan was saying about being in a circle where you feel like, you know, it's not a competition, it's not a race, no one's going to win. It's about finding out and deepening your understanding of who, what you think in relationship to somebody else and further understanding what, what they think and the fluidity of all of those things and how they can shift and change. Absolutely. And we're actually going to come back onto this point in a bit when we come think about the idea of one-to-ones or something without an agenda. Uh, I think that's a really, really good point. Thank you. Right. So we've got some really, really good ideas. So we're going to um, move on. But does anybody want to share um, an example of uh, potentially if you've been in a campaign or you know a campaign um, of uh, where you've done some listening or where there's been some listening done? Does anybody want to share? Um, does anybody else want to share an example of listening they've done as part of a campaign or otherwise? Yeah, Rowan. Um, I was going to share, I, I used to work for the International Committee of the Red Cross and we used to visit prisons um, in, in war zones. And often you'd go, to, you'd go to prison and there'd be like 2,000 people or 3,000 people and you'd have to talk to, and you, you do different, different types of listening. So you do listening where you go into an entire, um, like, like where you go to a cell or entire section of the prison and sometimes you speak to the rep like they'd have representatives sometimes you'd have meet with everybody but it was also really important to have one-to-ones um and what and they weren't called one-to-ones they were called iww's which were interviews without witness because in a prison it's very difficult to speak up if if you feel that you're if it doesn't feel like a safe space um and you'd spend the whole day as a team of five or six delegates trying to cover the breadth of the prison. So on the one hand, getting a sense of the conditions across the prison, and on the other hand, getting a handful of one-to-ones and trying to identify who needs those one-to-ones is always, a, is always really difficult because they might be people who have a more difficult time in the prison for whatever reason. Um, and often, often it felt like... Well, in, su- in, in some cases, you could take that information and take it to the prison authorities to try to make things better. And sometimes what they just needed was to be listened to. Um, and that was always very difficult to know, to know, um, to, to, to navigate the barrier between those, between just listening and listening and acting upon um, and required an understanding of, your own power and the power yeah where change can happen um but that was listening campaigns at every yeah every time you visited a prison it was all about listening but then synthesizing that was um the yeah, yeah. like 
the next step. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Rowan. I think that's dragged up some really interesting points as well about what we do with listing and particularly when it enters that power dynamics, um, which is something we will touch on in a, in a little bit. But thank you. I think that's a really, really good point. Okay, so I'll quickly share an example, perhaps, of the time when we did some, I did some listening in, in a campaign, and then we'll get into um, some one-to-ones. So, um, yeah, I was I had a, I had to kind of think about this, and you know, what what's an example of listening that um, has happened in a campaign? So I used to work as a community organizer in Brixton, where I was mainly a housing organizer, um, and I was immediately parachuted into this project to build a group of Hello? affordable homes. Um, and um, one of the things that didn't sit right was the fact that we were working with all these community groups and there was something that suggested that maybe um, trying to get everybody to afford a home in Brixton wasn't going to be top priority necessarily Um, so we did a big listening campaign and that simply meant a mixture of surveys but also simply going around all the estates knocking on doors of people who were mainly in social housing and private renter sector uh, as the kind of most numerous um, groups of residents in the area affected. And actually most people were saying, well, I can't live safely and my house is dilapidated and my landlord's going to kick me out and I'm worried about eviction. And so we quickly deduced from listening um, and just having conversations uh, that, yeah, clearly people weren't going to be getting on the housing ladder anytime soon in Brixton and that actually our campaign would be much better served uh, by doing a campaign to get landlords in the area licensed and put on a database um, so that it could be more regulated and people could live in safer housing. So we did a campaign, we changed our campaign to focus on that and that was a direct result of listening and I guess the upshot of that is not only did we have then the right campaign but those who were actually most affected by the issue then became active as campaigners in the community and joined the team so I think it's really important that we think about why we listen and what the effects are and the different kinds of listening but also what that does afterwards how do you bring people with you um okay so um I think I've had some really fantastic examples from all of you about the needs and examples of listening um but how do you um so if you're doing your listening, imagine you're, you're doing some listening. How do you find out what it is that people want or care about? Feel free to raise hands. Yeah, Andrea. Uh, there is something, um, a method that is called active listening, where first when you speak, you start by saying what you understood the other was trying to say. Um, so... Um, and and then you the other has a chance to check if it's really correct or not, and then you can say your part. And through this active listening, uh, many errors in the communication can be smoothed out somehow. Because often the the problem with um, with communication is that you you say you try to say something, but then uh, what gets to the other person is different from what you were trying to say. And this is where the misunderstandings keep happening. This is where the problems arise. So by just trying to repeat what you think the other one was trying to say, you uh, don't jump to the conclusions. You just sort of make sure that you understood it correctly and then you can relate to it. 
Totally. I think that's a really, really good technique for making sure that you are listening. Um, and I think that's a, yeah, I think that's a really, really good point. So active listening, definitely. Um, how, how else might we be able to find out what it is that somebody wants? I think, yeah, definitely active listening. But what do we do to make sure that we know what it is that somebody cares about? It's really simple. How do you find out what somebody cares about? Yeah, Simi. Ask them. Ask them, exactly. How many times have we seen a campaign where nobody's actually bothered to ask someone what they care about? So this is what we mean by, where, so when we introduce the idea of one-to-ones, and Laura, I think you had a really good point earlier about conversational listening. So finding out about somebody, your shared things, what they care about. This is what we mean when we say a one-to-one. So one-to-one uh, is a simple conversation, simply between two people um, about the things they care about uh, or what makes them them. Uh, why are they here? What's their passion? Now, a one-to-one can happen in any context. If you're religious, you've probably experienced a one-to-one with your church leader or your imam uh, finding out about you in the community. But it's also used in a campaigning sense um, simply to find out and build relationships with each other, whether that's somebody in your own campaign team uh, or somebody new that you've just met in the community but you're finding out who they are and what drives them what do you care about why are you involved in this thing i'm involved in um so um has any by the way has anybody heard of a one-to-one raise your hand if you have awesome yeah and it might be that you've heard of one-to-one in a different sense um no worries, Andrea, that's fine. Um, yeah, it, you might have heard of one-to-one in a different sense, but in a campaigning sense, we call a one-to-one just a heart-to-heart with somebody about who they are, what they care about, why they're here. Um, Rowan, would you mind sharing slide three? Thanks very much. So as you can see here, a one-to-one as a conversation uh, is, yep, a conversation. Uh, it's probing, so you're trying to find out what drives somebody, you know, what, why did you get into this? Why are you involved in this? Um, and it's about forming relationships, so it's not transactional. It's about developing a bond with somebody or a, some kind of shared experience, either like through similarity, or it might be that you have differences and you form over that, something that makes you different from each other. Um, but what we do say that one-to-ones aren't is it's not a CV. You're not sitting down and saying, well, I did this job, then I did this job, then I did this, and then I did this. It's also not prying. So you're not trying to find out, you're not trying to tell anybody anything more than you're comfortable sharing uh, as a campaigner. Uh, and, and it might be that you have to work out where that line is. And we always should be careful not to try and probe somebody too much uh, but that we're just trying to find out what drives somebody. And it might be that as a person sharing your experiences, you might need to think, well, what am I comfortable talking about um, as a campaigner in the public domain? Uh, and what would I rather not share? Uh, and finally, we say it's not transactional. So we're not saying, um, we're not sitting down with an agenda. You're not saying, oh, I need to recruit this person to my team, or I need to get them to retweet this thing for me. Although it could be that after your one-to-one, you find that you could work together and work in the same team. 
You're not sitting down because you need something from them. Does anyone have any questions about this? No? <laughs> yeah, Laura. I was just wondering if you had any tips or any thoughts on that really interesting line between probing and prying. <laughs> yeah, so I think this is a really interesting point. And as somebody who has um, done one-to-ones for a few years and had a really good experience and occasionally not felt um, like I had a good experience, I think it's really important that we say that when you're probing and prying, you're thinking about yourself as somebody in the public domain. So you're thinking about yourself as a campaigner, uh, not as somebody in therapy. Um, and it might be that something did ex shape your life. Like I talk about my background and my experiences, for example, with the benefit system and my family's experience with the benefit system. Now that is personal to me, but it's also something that I very happily share in public as a campaigner um, because it's something that drives me to do what I do. So I think it's really important that you think about, well, what am I comfortable sharing uh, as a campaigner? Um, so that's where I tend to draw the line. But again, yeah, I think we all need to be really careful when we sit down for a one-to-one -one, um, that we're kind of adhering to that and that we're kind of, yeah, we're not making anybody share anything they're not comfortable with. Um, any other questions? Yeah, Andrea. It's, it's not a question. Is a, a thing I would like to add, if it's okay, to what you said? I, for me, I think the difference between probing and prying is also if one was asked. Um, if I'm just telling because I want to tell and it was neither the subject of the meeting nor the, the per person asked or is, and I keep talking, for me that's more prying. But if it was like asked and or we said we need to talk about this, then it's more probing. Yeah, uh, thanks very much, Andrea. I think that's a really, really good point. Um, Rowan? I think also for me, prying is where the person who's asking questions has an agenda and is trying to get at that from the person who they're speaking to. So whilst probing is you're poking and seeing what response you get depending on where you poke and you're interested in all the responses, while prying is like digging a hole and saying, what... You know, you're trying to to basically prove yourself rather than actually listening to what the other person has to say and and basically by doing that deciding something that you need to decide um while probing is um interested oh what will she say if i do that what should what, what will she say if i do that and everything is interesting so it's, for me it's like it's like visually the difference between that and kind of going, mm, I want to get to that point because I need it. Absolutely. Yeah. Laura. So, uh, being able to read the comfort level to some degree of the person that you're engaging with and what feels like um, consensual practice. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And sometimes these things take a bit of practice, but I want to reiterate as well, because sometimes these can seem a bit tenuous. But by one-to-ones, what we mean is um, this is a tool that, so they're not explicit, like exclusive to campaigners. Um, anyone in society can use a one-to-one. -one. I'm sure you've all had a one-to-one -one with, you know, a special friend or your mum 
or yeah again as I said uh, if you're religious these things are quite commonplace um, but they are, can be a really effective tool used by campaigners to either talk to deepen relationships with people that they're campaigning with or change making with so people in your team or on the periphery or for going out into a community and saying hey why do you care about this issue or what is it that you care about oh I care about this issue the reason why I care about it is this so that's to give it some context um right Rome would you mind going to the next slide yeah I'm just I'm, I just realized I'm writing definitions for probing and prying for Picayo and I'm not sure whether this is right so feel free to change them <laughs> That, that's fine. Um, thank um, you for helping. I don't know if that that was written kind of quick. I'm not sure if it's correct. Yeah. I mean, it's up to other people, but I, I would definitely agree with that definition. Or prying could be, yeah, with an agenda as well, or at any cost. Right. So um, here is, uh, yeah, firstly, what is this a picture of? <laughs> Anybody? Iceberg. Yeah, it's an iceberg, exactly. <laughs> uh, 10 points. Um, so <laughs> this might help you visualize it. So some people see one-to-ones as an iceberg. So in everyday conversation, we've got the 10% up there. So you know, how are you? Oh, isn't the weather nice? Oh, isn't the weather bad? Um, when probably we didn't want to find out how they were or talk about the weather. Uh, but the 90% down here is what we think of as the where we're trying to get to with these one-to-ones. So yeah, to find out what drives somebody to be interested in something or what, what are they angry about in their community or what gives them their strength and their joy uh, and what are the kind of shared experiences or divergent experiences that we've had. Um, so yeah, this is just to help you uh, visualize what we're trying to do with these things. All right, um, thank you very much for sharing those slides, Rowan. We can probably go away from them now. Um, I would really like somebody to have a go at trying a one-to-one -one, uh, with me. Uh, so just trying out, finding out a bit about them and what they're interested in. Would anybody like to have a go? Um, um, hi, Lucy. <laughs> <laughs> um how are you finding the session today i'm finding the session uh, really interesting and i really enjoy things that are a bit more laid back and organic uh, because one of my passions is like meeting new people and i'm always surprised by with every session that we do and this is the first one of these the different kind of answers that people come out with and the different kind of things that drive them to be here um so this is something that I really care about and one of my favourite things to do is to just talk to people. Um, and oh this is yeah. Um, do you do you get to meet lots of different people in in your in your like do you, do you yeah, what do you enjoy about talking to different people? I don't know. I think I'm, I'm a massive talker <laughs> um, and I really just like finding out the different kind of experiences um, that drive people uh, and their different walks of life. This is something that I've always loved doing um, when I used to be a community organiser, which was about bringing people together over common issues. So that could have been over 
um, youth, uh, like violence against young people, or housing or health, um, and just the amazing things that you could do when you realise that people who are very desperate came together over com areas of common understanding, or indeed areas where they're very different. So we had um, people, like, we had, like, quite conservative priests ending up working with, like, young people on violence against young people. Uh, and then that campaign morphed into a campaign against homophobia. And before that, they probably wouldn't have campaigned on that issue. Um, mm. So I really like this idea of dialogue and opening up where people have come from, what's driving them, and how you can campaign together. What about you? What, um, uh, <laughs> I guess, uh, what led you to um, Phoenix and Changemakers Lab? Um, so it's it's really similar actually so i've been i've been like as a kid i went to like eight different types of schools uh, eight different schools in three different countries and i realized that schools could be really really different and in each school i went to the the kids in that school felt that that's what school had to be like and because i was lucky enough to move to different schools some people think that moving around is not lucky. I really enjoyed it because it made me realize that actually school can be very, very, very different. Um, and and so so when I got to so when I got to working in education, found myself stuck in a school where I didn't didn't I didn't share the values. I felt like I felt like something I, I needed. I wanted to do something about it. Um, yeah, and, 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 yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm getting stuck here, actually. This is really interesting, because it's, because it's such a big topic, <laughs> and there's so many reasons why this is really, really important, but one of the things that I, I realized in, in school is that, like, I, I had gone to one school that was really, really small, that meant that adults and young people we just talked a lot like the adults were our friends and we understood each other and we were learning together and and I felt in schools in the UK that that was so it was such a massive divide between adults and young people that it just it just felt like we divided society into these two separate groups with two different types of power um, and they were just they were like aliens to each other and and I really wanted to create a space where, where young people and adults could, could hear each other and listen to each other and talk to each other. And after doing that, I realized that it's the same thing amongst, sometimes amongst young people. They're isolated in their own bubble island schools. And actually, that, my initial work was around connecting young people and adults. But then I realized, actually, you could connect the young people as well. And you could connect the adults as well. And everyone could be talking, listening to each other. Um, and so that's why I'm here. I really, really relate to that. <laughs> uh, thank you for that. I really, really relate to some of that, particularly this idea of intergenerational dialogue. Um, one of the reasons why I got involved with um, Changemakers in Phoenix was because um, just before this, I, I, I work on the, uh, the World Transformed, which is a festival, but a political education program, but it draws together uh, old people and young people and it really is quite stark because there's lots of people who are under 30 and then lots of people who are over 60 and it's just amazing how 
um, it's such an amazing space, this festival of ideas. of left. It's a socialist festival, but it brings together a very broad church of people. There's that amazing magic in a room where you've got people talking across generational gaps and the things they can learn from each other. It's just like a feeling you never get anywhere else. Mm. But yeah, thanks for sharing that. Um, right, I will st- um, I'm going to draw it to a close because I want you guys to all have a go. Uh, but thanks, Rowan, um, for sharing that with me. Um, ha- so I want to ask everybody else. Ha- um, oh, no, quickly before I ask someone else. Rowan, how did you find that? I actually found it a little bit tough. I think I was just caught a bit off guard. And also I realized that, like, when you asked me and I spoke about my experience with Phoenix, I, I just spoke and I didn't ask you anything back. I was waiting for the next question. And, I, and, I, and even though, like, I do this work in my daily life, and it's like what my, what my entire work's about. When I was in it, I was like, oh, I don't know if it's because there's an audience, but I a, wasn't sure what I wanted to talk about. And he suddenly thought, oh my gosh, everyone's listening to me and forgot that I'm actually having a conversation. So like, I thought it was really interesting how, because I, um, I always ask people to talk. I'm always in, you know, trying to get people together to talk, but it's one of the... <laughs> It hasn't happened to me in a long time, so I really appreciated how difficult that was. <laughs> Thanks. That's okay. I'm also wooden when I get kind of sprung with a question, and I think that's yeah. okay. Um, I think it's really important to realise that we don't do these things intentionally in life. We hardly ever ask, go up to somebody and be like, oh, how did you get, you know, what drove you to get involved in this, or what? why do you care mm-hmm. about this thing? I've, I didn't realise until about a year ago I knew I cared about stuff and campaigning, but nobody had ever asked me why I cared about it. And it took a lot of deep diving and delving and practice, um, not, not inauthentic practice, not like a politician's practice, but just practice to talk about why I care about what I care about. Everyone else in the group, how did you find watching that? How did you feel? Yes, Simi. I thought it was really cool to see like people talking about what they're passionate about. It kind of makes you like passionate seeing like two people getting excited about something. So I enjoyed watching. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I, I rarely get a moment to step outside that space and actually be like, oh, somebody's asking me about me and what I care about. Um, yeah, anyone else? Any other reactions? Yeah, Laura. It, yeah, it felt really nice to be getting to know you both a little bit better and understand your motivations and just touch on, yeah, putting more of a history and more of a story to uh, the conversation we're having now. Yeah, and for me, it opens up so many things. And when you use it in a practical sense, I find out things I never thought I'd find out about somebody or they're actually interested in this very niche thing that um, on a personal level, it's nice, but also on a professional level, you can be like, oh, you care about this thing. Actually, there's this thing going on. Um, Would you be interested in this? Or I had no idea you were actually interested in housing. I thought you cared about this other issue. Um, And it can lead to so many other avenues uh, oh, I can see a comment. Oh, yeah, Laura. Yeah, sorry. Uh, just following on from that, like how it's it generates a sense of comfort 
and a sense of freeing up and the sense that I would feel comfortable participating in that way in this same environment. Yeah, thank you, Laura. And thanks, Fakaya, for your... Um, thank you, yeah. Fun to see people engaged in an intellectual conversation. Yeah, going deep. It's about going deep. Yeah, Rowan? It, it does make me realise, though, that there, there might be a step where you check that the person's ready for that. Um, so, like, I, I, I've been... I remember being in a situation where someone asked me, like, a really deep question that sometimes... That, Normally, I'd be really up for engaging in, but I'm just not in the headspace because either I've got other things happening or I just don't necessarily particularly feel um, safe or prepared or in the right mindset. So I wondered whether there's a kind of checking in step before you ask people to do that. Thank you so much for bringing that up. Um, yeah, so I was going to do this after we practice, but I think it'd be good to just spend a couple of minutes now really quickly discussing. So what are exactly what are the things that we need to be mindful of um when we enter into like a one-to-one -one conversation with somebody perhaps could everybody in the chat ideas and we can get some quick fire responses so i'll repeat myself so what what are the things that we need to be mindful of uh, when we have a one-to-one -one with someone thank you so much there's loads and loads of uh, really really good suggestions and ideas um Oh, yeah, so let me just scroll back. How long you've known the person? Uh, how much time you have? Yeah, absolutely. So you don't want to enter into something and then it turns out you're there for an hour and they didn't have time. Um, feelings, emotions, exactly. If somebody's feeling particularly like vulnerable or upset, it could be the wrong time to enter into one. Uh, age, definitely. Power imbalance, mainly. Yeah, so you need to be really aware of that. Um, wisdom gender race sexuality i think it's um it's all very well saying anyone can have a conversation with anyone which is true but uh, obviously there's some things that people um experience um oppression or intersecting oppression and we need to be careful that when we're in a one-to-one -one conversation we're not just saying oh either that's exactly the same as this experience i've had uh, when it's not um but also um being aware that there's obviously a lot of there's kind of privileges that people have and that they might not necessarily understand what else is happening, speed, pace, da la 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 la. Okay, yeah, some really, really good examples. So what are the things that we could do uh, to make it, uh, to make sure that these one-to-ones are kind of productive, safe, and making sure that everybody's kind of happy? Um, and I should say, one-to-ones don't normally happen in front of a, a, a Zoom call. This was simply um, an, a demonstration, which we call often a goldfish bowl in a session, so everybody's watching. But I realised, Rowan, I, in, if I had best practice, I should have asked your permission to ask if you had wanted to go into a one-to-one -one with me. So that I, is one thing I, I didn't did. do, right? You kind of did. And I should have, I should have um, known that that's what the session's about. <laughs> Expected <laughs> it coming. I don't know why I was caught off guard. No, but this is good practice, and we should all and 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 yeah, we should be asking people. So what el what else could we be doing? Yeah, Laura. Sorry, just further to what you were just discussing with Rowan, I think it's all the more, isn't it, when you feel like there's a sense of expectation or there's there's something on it or you've entered into it feeling you're in a certain role or in a certain position and not anticipating something 
sometimes those can be the most complicated moments to be clear about what it is that you do want and what you are consenting to because it's like oh actually I'm not sure um can you give me a minute and that's so I mean that is my life dream to be able to function with that gate in place of so many conversations (laughs) yeah I think that's a really good point so make I think checking in and asking for time and giving people that space to be able to make sure they're happy to have a one-to-one yeah Rowan I think also there's a time pressure element so I knew we had three minutes and we kind of needed to get deep in three minutes. It reminded me once, uh, for, for some time, I was interested in getting into building adventure playgrounds. And I ended up like shadowing this company that builds adventure playgrounds around the UK. And I went to all these like construction sites to help like build sand pits. And, um, and I was just hanging around with this team of guys. And this one day, the main guy who, who ran it came up to me and he was like, why are you doing this? Why, why do you think play is important? You're, and he literally was like, you're on the fifth floor and you've got until the elevator gets down to the first floor to give me an answer. And he was like, fifth floor, fourth floor, third floor. And I was literally like, I'd been reading about play for months and I was like really into it. And I could not say a word. And I think what I did when I did speak, I just like spluttered. And I think it's also recognizing like, like, um, yeah, just time and building relationship and trust before it's not, I mean, I, th- I think it's, I guess that was pro, pro that's it. That was maybe prying rather than probing. Um, but I think like time pressure and, and trust building and, um, recognizing also like neurodiversity issues, like how are how do p- different people interact with a one-to-one conversation? Um, so th- th- yeah, there's yeah, absolutely. There's a whole host of things. Yeah, that, that doesn't sound like that was a very respecting situation in the conversation. Yeah, um, yeah. So I, I think these are these are all good points. I think things we can do as well is. Um, People like to do a bit, a bit about you and why you're you're interested in this project, or uh, find out why you care about the things you care about, and just kind of being upfront about it and saying, um, or if you're already in a position where you are necessarily in a professional position, so you know you've got to campaign with them. Uh, so if you don't have a choice in the matter, you can say, oh, you know, I know we're working together on this thing or we're hoping to work together on this thing, but I just want to take a bit of time to ask you about you and, um, you know, where you're from and what, how you got into this and why you're passionate about it. So there, there's ways that you can kind of be clearer about it um, if you're in a campaigning setting uh, and even when you're not. Um, but, yeah, I think just being honest and clear about that is important. Uh, anything else that we can do to make people feel at ease? I think we covered a lot of good points, to be honest. Um, but I really, really want us to get a chance to practice. And so maybe we can cover any other points uh, when we come back. Um, so I'm going to put us into some breakout groups. Uh, for probably five minutes uh, and then we're going to come back and feedback how that was 
Amazing. I just wanted to hear from different groups and you don't have to disclose anything that was in the conversation between you two, but um, Simi and Bev, did either of you want to say how, how you found it or if there was anything you found interesting? Yeah, um, I found it. It was lovely. I love talking to, I love finding out about people. So um, I, I think I'm probably not so good in a group, but on one-to-one, -one, I, I do like asking questions. <laughs> and it was lovely to find out about Simi. So yeah, that's good. Amazing. That's Simi, how did you find it? It was great to talk a bit more. I found it really enjoyable. I really like talking to you, Beth. Um, yeah, I just like to talk to new people. So I really enjoyed it. <laughs> Great, me too. Yeah, we, we definitely went over on our talk. <laughs> um, Rowan and Fakayo, how did you find your your one-to-one? -one? Like, I really, I really, really enjoyed it. We got a little bit deeper into Fakaya had had um, had was interested in some of the other work I do that he found on the internet. So he had some really good probing questions that got us talking about how you bring about change in your school. Um, the internet does make it difficult to have one-to-one -one conversations because his internet kept coming and going. Um, but it was really nice to have that moment. That's really, really nice. Thank you. Um, yeah, internet definitely changes the dynamic of one-to-ones. Um, and this is the first time we've ever done something like this um, as a session online. So it's interesting to see and respond to that. Um, Laura. Uh, did you want to say how you found our conversation? I thought it was fantastic. I felt really held. I felt really understood for the fact that I had my little saboteur here ready to uh, attack mommy. Ready to attack mommy. <laughs> and and uh, yeah, thank you very much. I really, really enjoyed it. Oh, no, thank you. I really, really enjoyed it. And I really enjoyed those moments of, oh my gosh, we feel the same way about this thing. Um, <laughs> and I, I really enjoy those moments where you have that um, connection. Um, so I, I'm really, really glad we got to practice and I hope you found that okay uh, and interesting. I want to reiterate that this one-to-ones um, are not a kind of assigned like scientific thing uh, they're not like a yeah they're not a science they're something that uh, you can use to try and make connections uh, with people either existing in your spheres of change making um, or somebody that you'd like to reach out to so it could be you going to talk to somebody who's an effect who's affected by an issue that you care about and trying to find out but it's definitely um, within your rights and it's important that you do what's comfortable for you uh, and that you uh, ascertain what's comfortable for them. Sometimes, particularly if I'm talking to a young person um, or somebody who's never kind of been done this before, I'll say, I'll just explain, I'll, I'll, you know, sometimes I have a one-to-one -one or this conversation with someone to just find out a bit more about them and what they care about. But I really don't, you know, please don't tell me anything you're not comfortable with. And sometimes just saying that and being honest about it can be really helpful. What I will, I, what I can say is, we can revisit the story of listening uh, on the in Brixton for the landlord licensing cam, licensing campaign, uh, and one of the really exciting things about that is that it brought with us into the team people who were actually affected by the campaign and who needed their land their landlords licensed. Um, and after a year of surveys, so different kinds of listening, so meeting people on the estate and having one to ones, team building and having group kind of talks about what affected them in the community so another form of listening surveys 
and meeting the council, we successfully negotiated for a pilot scheme uh, to license landlords in Brixton. And that negotiation was achieved by the very people that were affected by it who had been brought into the team. So I think it goes to show that listening is not only important, but it is a tool of campaigning in itself because you can turn people uh, who've been affected by an issue into active participants in a campaign. Uh, Rowan, did you want to say anything? Yeah, it just occurs to me, I know we've got like, it's the end. It's also occurs to me that like one of the things about one-to-ones is that it's a more of a safe space. I often find when I work in schools, if you're working with a group of people, it might be harder for young people to express their opinions. I find that especially the case when there are teachers in the room. So, and, and actually I really appreciated working with young people outside of schools because I think that, that it's kind of a safer space um, because they're not worried about what, what they're saying. But I think it's really important for people campaigning to change in schools to create that safe space to have one-to-ones. Um, and sometimes, sometimes even when your peers are listening, it can all go to, towards one direction. While if it's one to, one to one, you can really get a lot more personal experience than you would when everyone's together, where, where again, some of the loudest voices tell the narrative. And I think actually the next section, session on storytelling might touch upon that as well. Yeah. Thank you so much, Rowan. And I think that's a thing. Yeah, I really agree with that. And if we uh, can do this session again, um, I'd, I'd be very happy to try and get that angle in more and hear from more people about doing that in a in an educational setting uh, from young people so perhaps we, I, we could think more about how that works yeah that'd be great thank you thanks for listening to this episode of the freedom to learn podcast for more information about our work check out our website at freedomtolearn.uk and find us on twitter facebook and instagram